This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients can earn up to 4.58% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you need to question yourself and ask how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Interactive Brokers' prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you far higher interest. That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. Of course, rates are subject to change. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. The official inflation report comes in as expected. Markets don't know what to do with it. Banks still not getting any love. And the debt ceiling risk and talks continue. Our guest today is Thomas Thornton from Hedge Fund Telemetry. All this and much more on episode number 816 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome to another fine episode, a fine, a really super duper great episode of the Discipline Investor Podcast. Here we are into the mid part, the belly of May, and we are, well, we're almost there. We're, we're just, just about, right? Just at the halfway point of May, and we're about to enter the summer. And right now, what it seems like is happening is there's a little confusion in the markets. On one hand, what we see is that there is a substantial amount of optimism, we'll call it, in the in the face of what's going on with regard to the debt ceiling. On the other hand, what we have is a lot of pessimism that maybe this is the last time we're going to see these earnings come in as good as they've come in. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz. Thanks again, of course, for joining me. Uh, I am the host of this show. I'm also the co-host of DH Unplugged on Thursdays. I'm also the president. I'm also the founder of Horowitz & Company, which is an investment advisory firm at the heart of what we do and what we talk about on this show is not academia. It's not theory. It's not, well, I heard this and read it in a magazine. This is the stuff that we talk about every day in my office and what we do on a regular basis with our clients. If you want to become a client, all you have to do is go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com and click on the contact us. And I'll make sure that we get a time to spend together talking about your circumstance bringing you in, figuring out what's best for you, and moving you into that portfolio strategy. The few things that are going on right now, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of confusion, a lot of concern, the idea of whether or not we're going to see a default on U.S. debt, uh, if, if, if we're going to be a deadbeat nation, not able to pay our bills like some other places around the world we have seen in years past. The fact is that this game that's being played, a very dangerous game, a very uh, simple game of chicken between the Democrats and the Republicans, now more so than probably we've seen it 
in the recent days, weeks, years, uh, decades, is one that is going to just simply play out towards the end, get everybody frazzled and freaked out. We saw, for example, the one-month Treasury bill, the T-bill spike last week on some nonsense about nothing getting done, concern about the, I would say, the uh, viability of the U.S. debt being paid, spiked to 5.8% for a moment. Maybe it was a fat finger, maybe it was a bad trade. Bottom line, we don't want to see that kind of situation happening. Already on a quote-unquote normal day in this time period, we're seeing that one month, one and a half month, Treasury is trading at 5.3, 5.4%. The highest level of the, the, the range is essentially the shortest term. You can go out four or five months and get 5.1. Now, what's the difference? 5.4, 5.1. Obviously, if you're talking about big money, it makes a big difference. When we're talking about rolling fifty or $100,000 at a clip, we have a client uh, situation where, I don't know, they say, well, let's say we have a million dollars that we want to roll treasuries and ladder them up and, and keep on notching them out as they come due. What happens in that circumstance? Does it matter that it's 5.1 versus 5.2? It adds up over time, yes. But at the same time, you want safety. And who knows if rates will drop dramatically after we see what's going on with regard to the debt ceiling. If, in fact, we pull through that and, in fact, inflation, as we saw last week, starts to stabilize, not move higher, which I don't, I don't necessarily buy into that. But what will happen is that we'll see some relaxation in the front part of the curve, the, the, the we'll call it the uh, zero to six-month T-bills that are out there that are clearly outperforming. Now, one of the benefits you have with that right now also is that cash is actually yielding something. Put aside as a, oh, well, cash is trash, no way to invest in that for years. Now, all of a sudden, cash is in the 4 to 5% range, depending on what money market you choose, what is backed by, what is invested in. And that all of a sudden becomes a really good bond alternative. And you may say, what? What do you mean? Well, if you're getting 4 or 5% on your bonds with volatility risk, depending on whether it's credit risk from a company, whether a default risk, whether it is, um, uh, let's call it uh, term risk, whether it is any other type of risk that is out there, inflation risk for that matter, you know, the uh, movement of, of rates up and down, where you can get a money market uh, cash at 4 or 5% versus a bond that may have all those risks associated with them, why would you even do something like that? The fact you have to really start thinking about or the notion is why are people not putting more into cash as a bucket right now with all the uncertainty that's out there. Well, here's a newsflash. They are. There is huge amounts of money rolling from low-yielding cash into cash alternatives like money markets, CDs, short-term treasuries. At the same time, there's a lot of money that's being rolled out of stocks into short-term treasuries and bonds into short-term treasuries, into money markets. So there is competition for the money right now. And I will tell you, I think it's a very viable alternative. For years, 
we were agonizing about where to put money because Tina, right, there is no other alternative. But as we discussed a couple of months ago, Tina is dead. May she rest in peace, right? She is gone. There are alternatives to where to put your money right now. And if you are expecting an 8% return on an annualized basis from your equity positions in your portfolio with all the headwinds that are out there, why would you not look at a 5% alternative with essentially no risk? The risk-free rate right now is what is going to lead and yield valuations coming down moving forward. Now, not for every stock, not for every sector, not for, but there is the real chance that we are going to move into at least a slowing condition, recession or not, whatever you want to call it. The consumer spending patterns have come in pretty hard. There was a report this week, I believe it was from Bank of America, that showed the spending numbers coming down and rolling over pretty hard. We know that the ISM manufacturing is, is in contraction. We know services are holding up in expansionary territory above the 50 line, but at the same time, it's starting to slow. We're seeing things like housing prices come down, We're seeing that, that occupancy rates, ratios in major cities like New York, San Francisco, and around the country are very, very high. We're seeing that the commercial areas of the real estate market are starting to, or have been, showing a lot of strain and stress. This is the next part of the banking area that's going to be a problem. What we also saw last week was something very interesting. We also saw that on Monday, when the senior loan officer survey came out, they were showing that there was a significant reduction in overall, or I should say, reduction in loans because there has been an increase in um, in what they're doing for loan, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Senior loan officers came out with their, um, ah, I'm drawing a blank. Bottom line is they're making it tougher to have loans, right? The financial, the tightening of conditions. Uh, that's what they're looking at. The tightening of um, loan conditions and what they're looking for, which is, you know, as opposed to, you know, giving a loan to somebody with a 20% down with a 700 credit rating, they want 750 and 15% down. You know, they want to increase the potential for getting paid back as what they're seeing is the opportunity for, or chance likelihood, for us to have a recessionary slowdown moving ahead. Yeah, we're not seeing it in the jobs numbers, 3.4% unemployment rate. You say that, hey, Horowitz, look at that. That's pretty good. Maybe we're going to have a soft landing. You know, there's only a few ways this all can go. And, Let's just take history out of the equation just for a second. We can do the math. We could see the writing on the wall. We could see what's happening. If nothing else, the fact that we're seeing interest rates as high as they are right now with a uh, reduction in liquidity overall, with tightening of credit conditions and requirements happening at the banks and loan officers reining in banks due to the fact that they're losing money on all of what they're doing, inability to really tap the equity markets and cost of capital so much higher, it is going to constrain the liquidity that's out there for small businesses and mid-sized businesses. Now, maybe the large boys like Apple did a, you know, five or I think it was a $50 billion offering last week. 
that's easy peasy. But your small companies, the, the things that, that, that really support the economy as a whole are going to suffer. Now, is it going to be this horrendous, horrible, oh my God, you know, breadline style suffering? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, if there's a major misstep, that could be. But, you know, if nothing else, just pulling back all the stimulus, all the excess liquidity that we had in the markets during 2021 and 2020, rolling into 2022, back and taking it out in 2023, makes a lot of sense. This is not time to freak out, run naked in the streets, burning down houses, breaking windows, stealing TVs. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What this is, is a time for reflection on reality. It's a time to push up the quality in your portfolios, as we've done for our clients. It's a time to look at credit and say, you know what, do I really want to be in those higher um, yielding positions that maybe are, what, 6 7% with risk of credit, term, and structure? Or do I want to be in cash for that position right now? And use it as a proxy until the coast clears, or maybe until there is a great buying opportunity that presents itself. Just a few things to think about. And uh, we're going to get to our guest. And before we do so, I want to give you an update on who he is. So, you know, a little bit of background on Thomas Thornton, who is a former portfolio manager, a senior trader, a technical analyst. He was with Level Global Investors and Galileo Capital. And he's written a, a daily market note for a select group of hedge fund managers for years. And what he did was he said, you know what? I think there's a lot more people that could use this. A lot more people asked about it. So he offered something to all investors called hedge fund telemetry. That's available if you want. We'll give you some uh, ways to get there, of course, on the show notes for this episode. You can check that out. His long-term focus, as what he, we've talked about before, he has this obsessive um, use of, of these sentiment indicators. That's his words. He calls them it's kind of bordering on obsessive. And uh, they're really kind of interesting. So he has a growing team in hedge fund telemetry. It's comprised of current and former buy and sell side individuals. And we're going to get into that because I have a lot of questions, especially about some of the special indicators and what's going on in the markets right now. Um, so let's get right to that and talk with Tom. Bring him right on. All right. So let's get right down to it right now. Thomas Thornton. Um, hey, Tom, you know, you the last time you were on was September 22. We had an episode called The Two-Headed Llama. It was episode 780. So we're at eight, what, 16 now or so. So it's been a, it's been a quite a while and quite a, a interesting set of, I don't know, uh, turnarounds. Yeah, it has. Thanks for having me back. Um, it's always uh, good to catch up and chat. A lot going on in the markets today. And uh, this year has been uh, rather unique as last year was rather unique. Now so you had, by the uh, way, you had a great year last year. I looked at your numbers, kept on tracking you. You kept on kind of pushing those shorts and working those those areas. And, and of course, you go, as they say, both ways. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, you're, well, you're not you trying know, to go short or long. No, I, I look, I have a background of working at a long, short hedge fund. Uh, we were $5 billion. We, I mean, I think with leverage, we were, you know, $10 billion that we would whip around. Um, but we were known for being uh, pretty good short sellers. And... You know, oddly enough, last year, 
as much as um, I, I had a good year, um, I, I actually traded more times on the long side than I did the short side. Hmm. It's just my sizing on the long side was smaller um, per position than on the short side. I made more money on the short side, but uh, it, it actually is rather balanced on, on what I made. So this year is actually, it hasn't been necessarily a spectacular year for me. Um, the S&P is up, you know, just under 6%. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm up a little over 2%, which um, is disappointing. Uh, I will say I have a core long uh, paramount that uh, and is uh, falling pretty hard. Uh, so it's it it's taken a percent off my uh, P&L. Yep. Other than that, I'm net short currently, and I'm actually very comfortable being net short. It's just this one long is sort of, uh, if you hear it in my voice, I'm just furious today. Yep. <laughs> not, right, hang on not a very second. happy. So, yeah, I know. I mean, Paramount was rough last week. That was, there's no question about that. But you know what? That, okay. You know, things happen and we get uh, different issues. I want to ask you, though, mentality, psychology, the difference that you see maybe from, what a hedge fund mentality is in terms of trading, buying, selling, shorting to what maybe you see as a, or you could see as a, uh, a retail trader. Like what, what, what are the main differences between the two? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that it's, um, I'm just accustomed to, um, you know, I, I manage risk with both sides and I, I'm actually very calm when there's something going against me or, you know, let's say the market goes up and I'm, I'm short. I know that my, my shorts aren't going to work. And if I'm short and, uh, or if I'm long and my, you know, the market goes against me, I mean, it, it I know that there's it, actually, let me just put it this way. It's sort of like gardening ah. in the sense that you, you have to pick certain, fruits and veggies at certain times and you can't necessarily get everything working correctly on every sing single day. Uh, those people that uh, are two-sided in their books that make money every day uh, know when to, you know, pick the right fruit and uh, when they, they turn ripe. Uh, so it, it's, um, it's sort of, uh, well, I, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, but we used to talk about it like sausage making. Uh, you, you don't really want to see how it's made. Mm. And it's similar to working <laughs> at a hedge fund. You don't necessarily want to see how it's made because it can be a, a little bit ugly at times. And you have winners and losers and you have to, you know, monetize the winners uh, when you have them and, and manage risk. Um, and and that that's entirely it. Uh, so people love the, you know, performance of a hedge fund, but, uh, I'll just advise uh, it's sometimes a little uglier. Yeah, the way no, I think that's really important. And I think it's that's a really great point you made uh, about position sizing because that is one of the biggest things that can get you in trouble, right? Because you're on the right side of the trade for a while, you pile into it, and all of a sudden things turn, whether it's an earnings announcement, whether it's a, a market event, whether it's you know a, 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 an issue with the company itself, whether you know, the CEO is leaving, I, who knows what's going on, right? Um, and that, or, or, or even compet competition, you know, just it's, it, it's seeing, um, you know, that, that it's competition did something and, it, and it's having sympathy pains. Um, that's true. Uh, sizing, sizing, position sizing right? yeah. is really important. And, 
you know, I, I can I can say that uh, there, there are a lot of people that, that differ in that view, um, especially in the hedge fund world. We'll, there'll be a lot of people that will get piggish and, you know, put 25 percent of their position, you know, their portfolio in one particular name or a sector. Wow. And I tend to keep my position sizing at maximum 5% uh, for at in, inception. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, if I have a position that's 2%, uh, I, I will, um, I, I reserve the right to be able to add up to 5% at any certain time. Right. I do that mostly because I, it keeps my anxiety levels lower. So if I'm wrong in something, it's not necessarily going to be the end of the world. Um, if I have to take, a loss. Uh, if I take a 10%, you know, if it's down 10% and I take a loss, it's not necessarily going to be uh, that bad of a deal for a two or, or 5% sized position. I mean, I think, yeah. I think that's the point though, Tom, you know, the, the, the big issue, one of the, my first book that I wrote, there's a whole chapter on quantitative analysis and it starts with the whole idea of, you know, Hey, uh, emotions are great, but damn, if you're investing, leave them at the door. Now there's something to be said. I've, I've, I've modified that over the years, right? I used to think, and I used to believe that no emotions, zero emotions when it comes to investing. Then I modified it. And I realized that there is some instinctual knowledge that we have as people and, and, and traders and investors that sometimes can help. You know, if you get a flare up of anxiety over something, let's, let's focus for a moment on the banking industry. That's what's going on now. Right. You know, if maybe there mm-hmm. is some, maybe, maybe that, that, um, that alert, it, that, that instinctual internal alert is, should be listened to just to at least understand what's happening. And then even further, realize that other people are having that same reaction and could cause a problem. Yeah. I, I look, I, I, I'm, I'm human. And I think a lot of times when, um, when people say, you know, you, you, you have to leave all emotion at the door or have no emotion. I think that's, um, you know, like Denise Scholl, who is a good friend of mine and oh, she's a she's been psychologist. On. She's great. Yeah, she'll tell you. It's a great that, book, you know, too. Some, she wrote a great book years ago, but great. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's, I've consulted with her mm-hmm. uh, over the years, and she's gotten me out of several periods where I've been, you know, struggling to make money, and which I'm not afraid to say because everybody goes through ups and downs. But she, she said it's okay to, you know, recognize your emotions and use that. Um, wisely to um, know when you're right and know when you're wrong. And look, if I'm upset about something, I I know that I can take down my risk and cool my jets for a while. And that's telling me something. If I'm just, you know, an algorithm, um, uh, that that just, it it doesn't work. So, I mean, look, everybody has their own uh, process. Uh, I don't necessarily like to get too emotional, but... um, no, because when I you get too emotional, you get make mistakes. Sense. You make mistakes when you're too emotional. Well, one of the things that people do is when they get emotional, it's like if you went to a casino and you're playing blackjack. And let's just say that if at one time in my life, I used to go to Las Vegas all the time and play blackjack. Mm-hmm. And I would start the same way using very small uh, sizing. And then as I made money and I traded a lot or, or bet a lot, a lot of different hands, <laughs> and essentially I would make more money and then increase my sizing. 
But the problem that a lot of people have is that if they lose, uh, they want to make it up on the next tr- the oh, next bet. That's no good. And they on double tilt. down. On tilt. And yeah, and that that's where people get you know offsides. And so I I don't do that. Yeah, you want to get I, back at. I'm going to get back at that guy. So speaking yeah, of uh, speaking revenge, of emotions, revenge trading against the stock or or some asset is not a highly uh, <laughs> ill-advised. So let's talk a little bit about that, you know, that the, the the ultimate revenge, or maybe it's not that, maybe it's the ultimate uh, gotcha. So last week, there was this Hindenburg report. You know, there's a few of these short-selling, quote-unquote, newsletter slash hedge fund slash promoters. I'm not exactly sure what their role is, right? Any one of them in particular. We know the names, though. One of them is Hindenburg Report, and they were around for a long time. They came out with some very interesting research on companies. And as they gain notoriety and what looks like they're correct, now their reports and their alerts are even more powerful, right, when they come out. They come out against Carl Icahn, who is a very famous hedge fund Manager, you know, private equity, private equity hedge yeah, fund, corporate raider, corporate I mean, raider, LBO, yeah. right? And tanks the stock like I don't know, thirty five percent in a couple of days. And uh, you know, icons out there waving and saying, "Hey, hey, hey!" You know, this guy's just trying to promote for his own benefit. And I'm thinking, wait, Carl, hasn't that? Didn't you create that? Yeah, I look. I, I think there's. Um, I actually have some thoughts about this, and I read the I read the report and Hindenburg. Uh, those guys do absolutely exhaustive um, forensic work on companies, mm-hmm. and they don't just put this uh, out for you know. Just I mean, there there are those types out there that that would just put a hit piece out on something and then take a quick hit, you know, profit. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, I think a lot of those people are 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 not doing it as anymore because of regulatory issues, but Hindenburg can back it up. And they went after uh, Adani in India. Yeah. That was one of the richest, richest people in the world and the richest person in India. And they went after uh, square uh, regarding their cash app. Mm -hmm. And I think that they uncover a lot of very important, um, important facts about companies that, um, that raise a lot of red flags and and they look i'm not an activist short seller i short stocks based on exhaustion signals and sentiment and other technical indicators and some fundamentals but uh, the work they do i have a ton of respect for they they really are um incredible and Look, Carl Icahn, I think that he can't really talk because it's a public company and they've got to wait for their earnings call. If they do an earnings call, I think that's going to be on the 10th. They move their earnings out. Yes, they did. There's a lot of red flags. Obviously, they need to be writing a rebuttal. Yeah, there's, you know, look, I think there's a lot that's true in that. And one of it is that Carl Icahn is highly levered. And I think that there's a lot of marks on some of their private companies and maybe even some of the public companies that don't add up. Um, And I would say that there's a lot of, every private equity firm, I will say, has marks on it that don't necessarily reflect the true value. And by the way, let me Uh, me interrupt you for a second. For those of you that don't know what he's talking about right now, what he's saying is there's various books and levels of securities in terms of liquidity, we'll call it. And 
what happens is when, when, when Tom says mark, he means what the value is being placed or described to on that particular asset. Some of them are very difficult because there's not really traded and they're held for long term. Some of them are more liquid. But the point what Hindenburg found out was all the various levels seem to have some questionable markings in favor of ICON. That's correct. Yeah. And that that's a, a, it's difficult because it's not just a private equity firm. It's a publicly traded company. So they do have a responsibility to the shareholders uh, to mark their assets properly. And uh, that that's what they brought up. Yeah. And uh, look, I think it's um, in Bill Aikman, uh, love him or hate him. He put out something saying that there's some karmic uh, quality yeah. to what's happening. Yeah, that's what I'm talking uh, about. To have a Herbalife. They have a long-term <laughs> fight and feud. Uh, no lo love loss there. Yeah. So I, I, I but, but he better watch out. You don't. He better watch out. I mean, you know, it's different because obviously, no, Pershing Square does have a, a, a stock that's traded though, a tracking stock, I believe. Yeah, and and they also mentioned that in uh, the Hindenburg report, I believe, saying that uh, their marks are are more accurate. And um, yes. but regardless, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think you know, going back to the Herbal Life uh, fight, uh, that was. Uh, pretty extraordinary yeah. where Carl basically just said, I want to get this guy yep. and who's short and he caused the big squeeze. Uh, I, I will, I'll give you this. Um, I was on the side of, of Ackman. I mean, I, I'm just saying that Herbalife seemed to be the, one of the greatest multi-level marketing deals ever. They can never prove it necessarily, but it, it clearly had all the, the, the tags for, you know, a multi-level marketing that was a scam. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with you on that. Um, I I will give you a, a story. Um, so I live in Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, one of my one of my friends, his father in law is a very big money manager, um, CEO of a big or chairman of a big publicly traded company, and he's friends with Carl uh, Icahn, and he joined in on the big squeeze and was long the stock, and I I, I that's publicly known but um my my wife is an interior designer here in Greenwich and she was doing uh this person's house oh boy and she had me go over on a Saturday because they don't live here normally but uh they they travel here and they have this second house and uh she's like oh I gotta put some lampshades in and uh install them on it, it was a Saturday so I, I go over with her and it's a nice house um and she needed some scissors to cut tags off the, the lampshades. So I walk into the kitchen and on the kitchen counter is like a big giant one inch thick uh, PowerPoint from Pershing Square mm. and Bill Hickman mm. on uh, Fannie Mae or Fannie Mae, I think it was, um, or Freddie Mac, I don't know which one he was involved in. But I think what they do is they look and they study what their opponent is doing and how they're thinking and try and find holes in those theses. And that that I thought was really kind of funny that, you know, here's this guy that's long herbal life and he's studying what the person short is is thinking on something else. Yeah, because else. if you remember back then, they tried to squeeze all angles of what he was doing. They were trying to really yeah, and, wreck and they guy, did a, right? they did a damn good oh, job. Oh, great and, job. I mean, really great job. I, I don't think really anybody made any money long or short on that. I don't think Carl Icahn really 
crushed it on that. I think that uh, as it turned out, I think all the parties sort of either, you know, got out of it at, you know, nominal gains and some I know uh, got out at losses. So it's, um, you know, it's a battle with egos. Right. I want to talk about charts, but before we do that, I want to talk about interactive brokers. So uh, let's uh, go to that. And then we are going to talk about some of your special charts that you sent me. Look, I'm talking to you in investment advisors, you, you financial advisors out there, and you may want to look at and consider some of the best of breed that's out there. And I'm talking about interactive brokers. Maybe you're looking to switch custodians. Maybe you're looking to add a custodian. You know, maybe you're looking to go independent. I don't know. I can tell you that interactive brokers provides a lot of services. I use them, and I can tell you this from personal experience. They have some of the lowest cost trading and turnkey custody solutions that you'll find out there for all size firms. And one of the things that I really like about them is that you can actually trade globally from a single unified platform. In other words, you can actually use one account and trade in client accounts that are domestic, international. You could trade futures and options, and you could trade all sorts of things in one place. And they have a turnkey custody solution which is really cool. So that, along with no ticket charges, they don't have custody fees, no minimums, no tech platform or even reporting fees. So it's really interesting. Plus, Interactive Brokers has no advisory team or prop trading group that's going to compete with you. So that's that's important on its own, right? You gain Interactive Brokers free CRM, their portfolio management and trading platforms, plus Portfolio Analyst, which is a really great tool to help you consolidate clients' entire portfolios so you can see what's going on with just a glance. Really neat. The automation, the flexibility for client billing, awesome. Now, think about switching or adding a custody solutions that works for you at ibkr.com slash RIA. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Where we left off, Tom, was this whole idea of uh, looking at the charts. And in particular, you have an affinity towards um, utilizing um, a specific, well, you use a lot of different things, but you very often, at least on your Twitter feed um, and in your in your publications, uh, Hedge Fund Telemetry, you, you use Tom DeMarc's uh, various indicators, the countdowns and the the, the exhaustion methodologies, the thirteens, the nines. Uh, by the way, I I've used these before. I've I've tried to study these. I've read all about these, and 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 I still have a problem understanding them entirely. Uh, to a point where I can feel like, yes, I am going to commit to that trade on the um, thirteen sequential because there's a lot of different. There's a lot of nines and thirteens, right? But there's a lot of different like sequentials and countdowns and all these different. Components. Could you explain just for everybody what what is the methodology, the numerology, the psychology behind the Demarc countdowns and sequentials, and 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 that genre of his of his work? Right. Well, I will say I've used the Demarc indicators for over twenty years, and I use them every single day. And there are times where I'll have to you know grab my book and or ask one of the DeMarc guys that I'm friends with um, and say, what am I interpreting here? And they, they are, they are complex and they are effective. 
and if you know how to use them and know when signals are more valid than not, uh, you you really you know can benefit from them. I'm, and you know I really can't look at a chart without them. So that's one thing I will say. Um, Tom was just recognized uh, for a lifetime achievement mm -hmm. award from the Chartered uh, Market Technicians Association last week. Yep. And uh, I, I think it's 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 incredible the work that he's um, done in his his career. But one thing that um, he tried to do, and he he developed some of these with Larry Williams, who's a well known technician as mm -hmm. well. He's been on the show too. Uh, is, yeah, and to look for uh, exhaustion signals, and so he developed these signals. And I don't really want to get too far into it because mm -hmm. everybody's going to just go whoa. Yes, yeah. um, Little snooze, um, but basically, you you look for you when these signals occur, uh, and you can watch when they and how they develop. Because let's say the sequential goes up to thirteen, when you get a thirteen, um, you can safely either buy or sell that signal. Uh, and if you're wrong, you know you have the ability to get out without much of a a deep loss. So it, it really looks for um, looking for the last on the upside, the last person to buy. And it's not necessarily smart sellers come in and it's 1987 crash right after it. Or on the other hand, when it's a buy signal, uh, it's not necessarily, you know, it's going to, something's going to get taken over, but it just, it's telling you that the sellers and the buyers are exhausting themselves uh, at a particular given moment. So they, they were the, the nines and the thirteens, right? This, this well, there's yeah. a lot of these different ones, but I, I'm assuming from my recollection of what I read, which again, I found, I think I read the whole thing twice and I'm like, uh, mm, okay. But when, when you get like a lineup, like you get confirmation, both the nine and the 13, right? You can do that, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah, kind we, of like a better, it gives you even a more yeah. powerful signal. You know, one one thing that I I do on uh, with my work with hedge fund telemetry is I screen uh, within the S and P five hundred and a couple other indices uh, each day, looking for those exact signals. And what I like to do, and I think it's really easy, especially for people that don't even have the the indicators, is I screen them and I can look for. You can see a large number of buy signals on a particular day, and that's usually coming at market lows, or you start to see, you know, many uh, sell signals on a given day. And when you see the power in numbers, when it adds up and you see so many, and let's just say you start to see a lot happening in a particular sector. So for example, if we start to see uh, more signals in the banking sector, um, as we're starting to develop now, uh, that will give me a, a pretty good clue of a sector I want to start to look at on the long side. Uh, so that, that so I like. I'm assuming you're getting, you're getting exhaustion signals, is what you're getting. Yeah, you're. Yeah, I mean, you're, it's, it's no, you're not getting any. You're not getting. You're not getting any. Uh, you're getting exhaustion on the selling side, is what I'm saying. You're not getting any. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So right, I right. and you know that a lot of times people will think you know oh they're only you know for you know short sellers or or people that are you know the topping the market you know and that usually gets a lot of notoriety but I use them every single day I use them in intraday uh for signals uh they they really do work well for me and and the thing that's important is when they don't work it's also telling you something very important that the trend is very very strong because 
Um, again, these are trend exhaustion these, signals. These, well, I, can I can I interrupt? These are con a lot of times contrary indicators. Yeah. Right. Contrary. Yeah. Indicators. I mean, I I I will. I mean, if you want to talk about some of the charts, yeah, let's talk about. Let's talk about yeah, I'm going to put this on the website. You can go over to episode number eight sixteen on the disciplineinvestor.com. Um, this is going to be on the show notes, and there's a few different charts. You want to, you want to talk about the uh, the silver and the golds that we? I think um, this is as of uh, first second week in May that you sent them over. Yes. Um, well, it's what we're starting to see are signals, exhaustion signals uh, for both gold and silver, uh, and we're getting closer to the 13 uh, level uh, for both. And I, I not only use the mark indicators, but I also uh, look at market sentiment and market sentiment is a completely different um, indicator. I use the, I take the data from Jake Bernstein at tradefutures.com and put them into nice charts. And I can look between zero and a hundred uh, where market sentiment is. And so market sentiment right now in gold and silver is getting up there pretty high and it's probably going to get into the 90% level and the last two times it it went over ninety percent, uh, those were fairly significant. Tops. Where, where are those on? Where are those on the chart? Are those on this chart? Um, not on the Demark charts, oh. but uh, what I like to do is I like to use both to get all those together. Oh, it's on. I see. Then, it's on this other chart, the gold futures chart. Yeah, I got. So, you. but the, with the exhaustion signals, I think that um, what, what will be important is that once you get the thirteens, uh, you you have the you open a window basically for a trend reversal within the next 10 to 12 days. Uh, I know that may sound like, oh my God, well, you know, gold could be 3000 after that. Um, but maybe, but uh, <laughs> the bottom line is that's uh, the strategy of how it works. So you should be able to, you should start to see um, that type of change. And, and looking at the sentiment, I can tell you that uh, it's not really a popular idea to say I want to short gold uh, or sell gold uh, because you have all these other cross currents with the banking problems, uh, the Fed. I mean, the, one thing about gold, uh, and I come from a family that uh, my grandfather was a metals trader oh. and was, you know, he, he traded gold and silver his whole life. And uh, so uh, I you know, that's just my heritage. But I will say that uh, right now, I think we're getting a lot of touristy type longs coming into gold and the gold miners um, because of all these different things. So they think, oh, well, you know, turbulence in the market, I better buy gold. Um, last year- We think as people that, that, that were in crypto for that purpose and decided to hell with this. Let's just go back to the old favorites. Yeah. I mean, look, crypto's you know, Bitcoin's actually done pretty well as, as, as well. And actually that's that's getting close to an upside exhaustion signal too. So if we get a couple of days over 30,000 on Bitcoin, I wouldn't be shocked to see my signal um, my signal trigger there. And, and on Bitcoin, uh, it actually, the buy signals were absolutely at the lows, which- So uh, you do also get, these are contrarian signals. Are there also trend continuation signals that are, that's where I got- I got, I got um, kind of screwed up when I dealt with it. I'm like, okay, wait, it looks like this is a, a sell signal, exhaustion signal, but some of these seem to be also trend continuation signals. Yeah. Well, when you start to get the, let's say you, you have these countdowns that are, that are starting, um, that's when you, you can, you know, buy or sell 
something with more comfort once you start to get the, the turn. So if something is turning off the lows, uh, you might be on the sequential on day two or three, and you know that you have the ability to go to 13. It doesn't necessarily have to go in exact order, mm -hmm. uh, but you know that you, you can feel generally comfortable that uh, this has the potential to uh, move move higher. So that's usually when the trend starts and it can you know keep you in a trade uh, a little longer as well. But the thing that that makes everybody nuts is that if they don't have the signals on their screens, uh, everything looks like a breakout or a breakdown mm -hmm. uh, right. from from their view. Uh, I just have the ability to see when I think that the trend is going to stop. So let's kind of back it up and, and just ask you about the banks, because you mentioned that we talked about the banks. And I'm not asking for specific information about this with regard to the charts per se, but there's a lot of things going on with the banks, and it's a I think it's a crisis of confidence that's going on right now. And and we know that the markets are a summation of the confidence that investors have in whatever, right? Pick pick whatever that is. Um, mm -hmm. I have been talking about this sinkhole. I've been talking about this kind of underneath the small caps, the banks, even energy shares. I mean, a lot of things aren't going well, and the big boys ha had been playing for a while. But the banks, what's your thoughts on the investability over the next number of months in let, let's talk about two different tranches. Let's talk about the, 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 the big banks, you know, the, the everyday banks, right. And, and include that in Goldman and Morgan Stanley, those, and then the others, like the regionals, you know, just strictly banks. Is there something we need to be aware of like long-term or what are you thinking? Well, you're right. It's, I think this is more of a crisis of confidence and I think it's, sort of strange. Um, and, you know, every, this time is different because uh, the last time we had a banking crisis uh, was really the subprime, uh, the lower end uh, lenders that that got hit. Now it's these banks that are getting hit are the ones with the higher net worth clientele. And, and quality securities. I, I and quality securities. Yeah. It. <laughs> and, and look, the, you know, the, the, th the problem is they, they just did a poor job I mean, the bottom line is I think they did a poor job managing their risk as far as the assets that they um, they have as, as securities. I mean, if you bought, you know, ten, you know, thirty-year treasuries at you know one point two percent, and they're you know trading, they move up to four percent. Um, you're going to face some significant holes, and I think that's been the real problem. Uh, but, you know, look, I, I think that there's going to be, you know, the, the good news is I think there's going to be some opportunities. I think the larger banks will uh, present opportunities uh, to, to own. I don't necessarily want to get too involved in the regionals at this point. I think that there's still uh, there's still plenty of risk messy. out there. And it's you messy, don't know. Right? Let's be honest, it's messy. Yeah, I, I just don't think that you're going to I don't think that the risk reward is all that great, especially when you. Look at, you know, um, PacWest recently said that, you know, they didn't see, a you know, a flight out of yeah, uh, right. a deposit flight and the, the stock went up and now they're, you know, falling out of bed. Yep. And just terrible, the whole situation. Yeah, it's just it's 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 messy. Um, and, and look, that's partly what's supposed to happen with what the Fed's doing. And people may say, oh, you know, that's that's terrible with the Fed's raising rates and, 
complain about that. But uh, the fact is that they have a mandate to control inflation. And if they don't, if they didn't control inflation, then a lot of this poorly, you know, the poorly run banks and other companies that have, have been hit by this uh, would just continue. And that's capitalism. You know, you have to be aware that uh, that if rates are going up and it's not like it's been a surprise, um, it, it, it you you need to manage your risk. Yeah, and uh, those banks just didn't do a good job at it. And uh, I don't think it's over. And usually these types of crises uh, last quite a while. And I think it's going to spill into the main economy with lending. Uh, it's, it's already been tightening. I think lending is going to really um, be difficult for consumers as well as uh, businesses. And that will hap- happen to be with a lot of the small cap companies mm-hmm. that need to refi their their debt. The commercial uh, uh, real estate businesses are really in a, they have like pickle. a triple whammy. We'll pickle, in a pickle. They, they have a triple whammy because not only are rates higher, uh, lending standards are tighter um, and and you you have this work from home phenomena that's uh, it's here to stay. It's you know companies aren't going to need the same amount of uh, space uh, to to lease for their workers. They they can have these workers at home and yeah. get the productivity they need. Right. Uh, one thing I want to close uh, this week on um, um, well, last week it was last week actually on. The week, two weeks ago, I guess two weeks ago now, uh, on uh, DH Unplugged, I, I I kind of was kidding around, and I was asked like, you know, what areas of the market, why why are certain areas doing well and certain areas are not? And I said, you know, what we're living in right now when it comes to markets, and and in particular people spend is it's called the insta economy, insta economy, and the, and my co-host said, well, what the hell is that? I said people are buying things that they will take pictures of to be on Instagram, travel. Food, drink, um, experiential. They're not taking pictures of their Wayfair couch or, you know, their toothpaste to be on Instagram. So if you think of all the things, that's kind of where we are. We, we broke out from needing a couch. Who else needs it? Who needs another desk in their home office at this point, right? So- yeah, I, look, I think, I think a lot of the demand in so many different places and a lot in technology and um it was pulled forward with uh, the pandemic. And so I think that we're still coming out of that and it's, it, it's occurring in housing. It's going to occur in the autos. It's obviously in technology spending. And so I, I think that, yeah, there is that, you know, and the, you know, buy now pay later um, model has, has done that for a lot of people. And that, that to me, I think is is worse than subprime lending. That was terrible. There was no standards. Well, no standards. Well, the 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 problem is that there's no they, there's no uh, they can't reclaim something if they if they somebody bought a flat screen TV with a firm they you know firm if if they run out of or they stop paying a firm can't go and repossess their flat screen TV, right, right. but they could, they could take back their home or a car. So I think it's um, really risky lending. And, you know, there's others that are doing that. And uh, I never liked that whole micro lending business that even though that it was talked about being, you know, micro lending and, and crowdfunding and all that with regard to 
Um, even even some of the, the economies around the world that were unbanked, right? I, I just said, oh, there's just something not right. It's great until it's not. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think that uh, you know when when the tide goes out, like you know now you're at five and a quarter uh, Fed funds rate. I think those businesses are going to really suffer as banks are, and I I think it it will trickle down with yeah. consumers and. Uh, and that's essentially what the Fed, the Fed's purpose is to do. It's yep. to slow the economy. And unfortunately, uh, you, you can't necessarily cherry pick, you know, and, you know. Well, they're using, they're using a broad simple. brush and a blunt tool. It reacts bluntly and broadly, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's simple as that. It, yeah, they can't, they, you know, it's not, they take a shotgun to it and a sawed off shotgun and it's not a sniper rifle. They can't you know, cherry pick wages or other places in, in the recession or the uh, inflation fight. So it's, uh, but, you know, in, in some regards, they've been able to do that. You know, wages have come down. Unemployment is still really, yeah, right. really low. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that I think a lot of people are going to get wrong is that I mean, with the banking crisis, people are begging the Fed to cut rates now. And I think that's uh, not going to happen uh, unless there's a systemic risk uh, in the, the markets uh, or the S&P, let's say, goes under 3,500 or let's say unemployment rises to over 5% fairly quickly uh, or if there's some geo-macro, you know, war, terrorism, some, some outside event that causes uh, the Fed to make a turn. But I don't think that uh, the regional banks is is enough uh, for the Fed to start cutting rates. And, and let's also remember that um, when they do start cutting rates, um, they, they started cutting rates in September 2007. And let's just say that it didn't really help because that's when we went into the great financial crisis mm -hmm. and they were cutting rates the whole way and the markets continued to go south. And I think that that's highly likely when they start to cut rates. Um, I, I know it's a family program, but the shits hit the fan. It does it's indeed. To, uh, <laughs> it, it's, that's it's a recognition. That's the rec right. That's a recognition that something is not so right. No, it's bad. Yep. And they see it as bad. And even if they cut rates 100 basis points, you'll get a quick sugar high. But it, it, it's still not. I don't think yep. that's going to necessarily. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to be um, the, the the cure. Yep. Um, and let's just remember, they got into this problem, or were in this problem with inflation because the ultra low interest rate, low interest rates that, and Q, you know, QE that the Fed initiated with uh, the pandemic mm -hmm. and you know the fed just keeps going around and they they experimenting they fix a problem and you know subsequently create a problem and they you know circle the circle of life they they keep doing this uh so look i'm 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 at the belief that uh you know reckoning is is definitely coming if not it's already started and i don't necessarily like recessions, but I think we're going into a recession and a soft, you know, small recession 
um, doesn't feel that way for people to get laid off. Yeah, no question about that. And we've all been in that place. I've been in, you know, the situation where I've been let go of firms and uh, it's not it's not fun. It's not it's it's actually really shocking and difficult on a family. So I think that um, we are going into a difficult period. I think if anything, also, I'm, my advice to people is just, you know, mind your spending. Um, be more conservative with what you're doing in your portfolios. Um, it's not necessarily the time to take, you know, big risk. Um, and those things, by the way, if it's acted upon is what ele- elevates the recession itself. That what you just said that's, is what that's people, true. if that right now that still hasn't really happened for the majority of where we are, whether it's the housing, you know, still buying big, big and, and overspending and, and spending on a variety of things. So it's, it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing that will, you know, the tide will turn with that. But we have uh, we have to end it right now. You told me that you had a certain time period. Thomas Thornton, head fund telemetry. Thank you so much on the even though that wasn't the the, the most positive note at the end there. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I think we're getting we're getting to we're going to get to some places where there's going to be buying opportunities. That's and true. We, you know, that's what we have to wait for. And that's what we were anticipating. And um, I, I'm sure people will see me on Twitter and I'll be all bullish and people will be like, wait, the world's coming to an end. I'm like, well, maybe not so fast. Blood and in the streets. So, Blood in the streets. Yeah. We got to do pick it up. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time as always. Head over to hedgefundtelemetry.com. Check out all that he has to offer because it's good stuff. Thanks so much, Tom. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that's going to wrap it for this edition, the show, this episode of The Disciplined Investor, show number 816. Check out the show notes where you find all the information that you want, you need, you have to have regarding Thomas Thornton and Hedge Fund Telemetry, as well as ways to get in touch with us here, with me specifically. If you want us to do a little work with you, find out how you can really uh, maybe help yourself out and uh, find a better way to manage your money. That's what we do. Go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com and uh, make some plans to get together. Find a way to get in touch. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. I'm Andrew Horowitz, and we are out. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 